0: And if you're comfortably able, uh, let's remain standing to honor God's word. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our series of sermons on the parables. And last week, if you're with us, we uh, began looking at the parable of the prodigal son. We looked at the younger brother, and today we're um, continuing part two, looking at the older uh, brother. And this begins at verse 25 of Luke 15. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life he was lost and has been found the word of the Lord thanks be to God please be seated in the words of Dostoevsky Fyodor Dostoevsky he said this beauty will save the world let us pray Lord, we um, pray that Your Spirit would be the voice we hear in these moments. How grateful f- we are that Your Word is a light unto our path, a light unto our feet, and help us to hear, um, hear Your Word today, Your eternal Word that does not change. Amen. You know every sermon on the Prodigal Son that I heard when I was growing up, and I grew up in the church. Um, Usually ended with the party that the gracious father threw in celebration of the return of this repentant son. That's usually where it ended. I was led by such sermons to wonder about the shocking grace uh, that was given to this debauched kid. Um, but I also secretly wondered about this life of discovery. What was that like? What would it be like to venture out and do your own thing and be your own boss and And there was a certain appeal to that. I wondered about that. What did he go through? I had always grown up in the church, and I never knew of such things, but it made me wonder. I'm an older son, and while I marveled at the grace given to the younger and heard many calls for the younger son to repent, I found it difficult to find myself in this story. However, as we just heard, we know there is more to this story. There's the story past the party. Enter the older brother. He had been working in a distant part of the farm, and he returned home in the midst of revelry. He heard music. He smelled barbecue. He heard laughter and joy, and he wondered, what is going on? In that culture, such festivity lasted for days. He heard all of this and thought, what could have prompted such a celebration? The servants came to him and said, well, your brother returned home. Your younger brother, he's come home. Now, this older brother did not share his father's enthusiasm for the return of this wayward sibling. Essentially, he said, this party is for my selfish, arrogant, and ungrateful brother. My father's become an old fool. He went to his quarters, would not go to the party. But just as the father sought out the younger by running down the road, you remember this, he yearned for the wayward younger son to come home, just as the father yearned for that and ran out and, and, and met him and put a robe on him and embraced him and kissed him, put a ring on his finger, just as he sought out the younger, so he went out searching for the older. He wanted him there. He wanted him also to come to the party, begged him to join the festivities, and that was it. The older son then unleashed all kinds of anger. He said, let me get this straight, father of mine. That son of yours there, that selfish, arrogant, and ungrateful son came to you, told you that he wished you were dead. He took what would still be earning you and our family interest and went to ungodly Las Vegas. He threw away all that money for which you labored in providing for the future of your family. He ran with prostitutes. He posted all those selfies on Facebook. You remember, we saw them. He brought shame to you and to our family. Last I had heard, he had sunk so low, he was living with unclean animals. And this kid comes traipsing back, and you fall all over him like a silly grandparent. And by the way, I've stayed with you thick and thin. I've never left. I've been here the whole time, and I've worked hard for you. I have been a dutiful son. You never gave me a party like this. You didn't make a fuss over me like this. Maybe he has a point. Actually, I think he can make a strong point. It's a pretty good argument. I think I also would have been upset, if I'm honest. Very upset. Disobedience seems to be rewarded, and obedience seems to go unrewarded. Listening to Jesus tell this story, as we mentioned last week, were many people who thought like the older brother. Remember what we said? He was speaking to the tax collectors and the sinners were standing around. But in that crowd were Pharisees and scribes, religious leaders. They were grumbling, saying, how could he eat and be friends with and sit with people like that? And he aimed this parable at them and that way of thinking. They were the opposite of the prodigal. They were the prototype of the older brother in the parable. Now, we live in a culture that celebrates older brothers. We do. Those who work hard, we celebrate. Those who are, have moral up, and are upstanding good citizens in their community, older brothers get things done. They are responsible. But in his self-righteousness, he had neither love nor mercy for his brother. And by the way, notice in this story, he doesn't even refer to him as my brother. Did you catch that? He says, that son of yours. <laughs> Whew. That son, I don't I didn't even consider him family. That son of yours to the father. But aren't we all a little bit at sometimes tempted to feel this way? Someone at work, a coworker, trips up, makes a big mistake. You feel bad. But deep down, aren't you secretly hoping that the boss will see you in a new light? You know, you've done a really good job, actually, unlike. Or in families, when a when a sibling wanders and falters, isn't it nice to have a parent come to you and say, you know, you've always been the responsible one. Doesn't that feel good? What's our motivation? In his self-righteousness, This older son, his service, his duty was nothing more than joyless servitude. He said, look, these many years I have served you. The Greek word Jesus used here was one for a slave's work. The son found no joy in living in the father's house and doing the work of the family. He, He referred to it as I've been a slave here all these years. It was a burden to him. He was just hanging in there, doing it all until the father died. And then he would get it all for himself. Then he could do what he wanted. The graceless service of the self-righteous person is more hard duty than than it is a joyful service and thanksgiving. This was dutiful, hard. One son tried to control the father through his behavior. The younger son tried to control the father. I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. I can demand my money right now. I'm family. He has to give it to me. I can expect him to do it. And by the way, when I come home, he's gonna give me a job. He has to welcome me back. Do you see the younger son controlling the actions of the father? He has to, he has to, he will, he will. But the older son is doing the same thing. I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna be on time. I'm gonna do what is expected. I'm going to do everything the father says, but then he's going to owe me. He has to give to me. He has to be this way. Both are trying to control the father. There are two ways to try and be your own savior and Lord and control God. The older brother doesn't obey out of love. He doesn't see beauty in the father. He obeys in order to get what he wants and what he expects. (coughs) <coughs> after my first year of college, I decided to transfer to a, a very small college, and um, I was had the opportunity to play football. I, did I mention it's a very, very small college? This was not any big thing, but I, I had the opportunity. But, but in that summer before I was about to transfer, I received word that I was a couple of credits short in order to qualify for the football team. So um, this was unexpected, so I had to go to the local community college and take a class to get the credits. So I asked a friend of mine, I was not happy about having to do this. This is summer. This is time of self-discovery. This is my last summer before going away. And he said to me, "Well, here's what you need to do. I know about this class. You got to take this class. It's an art history appreciation class." He goes, "The reason you need to take this class is because there are no tests, no quizzes. The whole grade is simply on attendance. It's mandatory." But you don't have to do anything. You just have to show up and go, and you'll get an easy A. And I thought, hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's all I wanted. I didn't want to learn anything. I just had to get this done. Uh, I was a little bit nervous about this art history plan. This is something I had no interest in whatsoever, and at first glance, it was dreadful. We were in the basement of this classroom, and this, this is summer, and everyone's out playing, and every day for a month. In the afternoon, I got to sit in this basement while this teacher, remember slides? He would advance the slides. We were just looking at art the whole time in the class, and my attitude was terrible. I'm only here to get this grade and get out of here. And by the way, I'm going to be miserable the whole time because I know where my friends are, and I know what they're doing. It was such a burden. I had no expectation of getting anything out. I just hoped I could survive this. But once I survived, I was going to get my A. And I'd be able to do what I want. It would be given to me. It is possible to view God in a similar way. I'm going to do what I need to do. But then he's going to have to do what I, he's going to have to do and give me what I want. I'm going to expect it. There's a term in the medical field um, it's a phrase, iatrogenic. This is the definition. It's an inadvertent ad- adverse effect or complication resulting from medical treatment or advice, including that of psychologists, therapists, pharmacists, nurses, physicians, and dentists. Um, what this means is, you you may go to a hospital to get cared for, but you but it it may actually make you more sick. It's possible. Some people get sick in the hospital. Right. Because there's a lot of sick people in the hospital, and there's a lot of germs in the hospital. And I know we have several doctors here. I love doctors, love the hospital, very, very good, hear me right. But it is a technical term, it is possible. What am I talking about? It is possible to get sick in here. It's possible to become more lost in here, in this room. It's possible to be here every Sunday, teach Sunday school, preach sermons, know theology, sing in the choir, play in the bell choir. It is possible to do all of that and become lost. The older brother was good and dutiful, and he was lost because he didn't know the heart of the Father. His service was joyless. It was just duty. He didn't come to realize that the Father's heart was gracious and kind. It's possible to be in here in worship, to do what we're doing, and to look out there and go, oh, those people are so awful. They're so terrible. So glad we're not like them. We're not like them. We're not like those younger self-discovery sons. we're going to miss the heart of the father because the father's heart is love for them wants them home yearns for them seeks them this older son missed all of it being in the father's house caused him to be even more lost why well there's two ways to be your own savior two ways to get try and control the father's things and not really love the father one is by being very very bad and the other is by being very very good why by being very good? Well, because in your heart of hearts, you, you say to yourself, well, I have worked so hard. I've obeyed. I've, I've tried to live by the Ten Commandments. I go to church. I've prayed. I have given uh, offerings. I've tried hard to be like Jesus. And therefore, God, you owe me. I've done all I can do. That's why I'm here. Now you owe me. You owe me a good life. You, owe, you need to take care of me. You need to make sure that things go well for me. You need to answer my prayers. You need to take me to heaven when I die. Well, in that case, Jesus is your model. Maybe he's your example. Maybe he's your boss, but he's not your savior. You're your own savior. You're calling the shots. You're controlling the action. You're telling God and the father what he has to do, all that he has to do. Again, there's two different kinds of self-salvation projects. One is by breaking all the moral rules. The other is by keeping all the moral rules for the wrong reason, reasons. And saying, God, you owe me. And by the way, what happens when you live that way and life does fall apart? God, why did you do this? How could you possibly do this? My life is crumbling. You're responsible for this. You know, Jesus ends the story with the younger brother, the bad boy, being saved. He goes to the party and the good boy remaining lost. But I don't think Jesus is trying to teach us here. I know he's not trying to teach us here that being a wrong evildoer, wrongdoer, breaking all the moral laws, stealing money, squandering on prostitutes, and gambling like that, he's not saying that's okay. Of course he's not. If you read the parable, he's not saying any of that is fine. But what he's saying is that at the end of the day, being the younger brother has an advantage. He smells bad. He's disheveled has no money. He's hurt people. He's got all this stuff. He's in the gutter. He's at the bottom. The one advantage is he he may come to the place where he says, I need help. The older brother never gets that advantage. I don't need help. He needs help. I'm doing fine. He doesn't need a savior with that way of thinking. The gospel is not found in self-discovery, and it's also not found in moral conformity. Tim Keller puts it this way. He said, the difference between a Christian and a moralist is that a Christian also repents of what they have done wrong. Pharisees repent of what they did wrong when they sinned. They may not have sinned very often, but when they did, they felt terrible about it. But a Christian is someone who also repents for the reasons that they did right. If in my doing right and wanting to do right, I'm doing it for the wrong motivation or for selfish desires or from self-righteousness, I need to repent of that. Why do right? It's because the father is so good and he's so beautiful. And the older son missed that. And by the way, he wants us to yearn for younger brothers. Pray that they come home, love them, give mercy to them. Christians recognize that often the motivation for doing right is often an an attempt to control God and impress others. Again, beauty will save the world. You know, that art appreciation class did not go the way I planned. About the third day in class, uh, I started to realize and recognize that this teacher was amazing. He was really good. And he spent those hours just showing us beauty. Beauty. And I began to become engaged in this class, and I saw things, and I appreciated things I had never seen before, and I was learning, and I loved going to class. And by the end of this class, I, I, used, I, w- I remember thinking, I w- hope it doesn't end. This has been a joy. It's been absolutely wonderful. I, I learned for the first time about Im- the impressionists like Claude Monet and post-impressionists like Van Gogh and surreal artists like Salvador Dali, these geniuses who who painted beauty in different ways. But most importantly, I was introduced to Rembrandt. Rembrandt used strong lights and heavy shadows to create depth. This is his picture of the story of the prodigal son, and it's a masterpiece. And he conveys so much truth and beauty in this painting. Notice the light. The light is all focused on the father. And how kind and gracious he is. Back in the shadows are those disapproving. But also notice what Rembrandt does with the father's hands. Do you see the hands? The left hand is more firm. It's got a grasp around The younger, the prodigal, as if to communicate, I will protect you. I won't let you go. I've got you. But the other hand is gentle. It's soft. It's kind. Rembrandt, in a genius way, is teaching us how the love of God works. But then also notice the older son standing there disapproving. Where? What are his hands? They're closed. They're not open. He should be down there embracing the younger son as well, but he won't have it. Beauty teaches us about the father, how loving he is. Friends, why are we here today? Why are we in worship? We are here to be reminded once again of how good God is, how kind he is, how his hands embrace us, to discover once again that we ought not to control him, but we ought to celebrate him, love him, be amazed by his generous grace. grace. We're here so that we can learn to love the way he loves. And that beauty is meant to change us. Let me finish with this. It was the older son's job in ancient Israel. It was the elder son's responsibility to care for the family. Remember that this older son owned most of the estate now. It was divided. The younger son took a third, but he had two thirds. Um, He couldn't actually take possession of it till the father died, but everyone knew this was going to be his. All the wealth would be his. Um, And he was controlling it. If the older brother loved the father, instead of using the father for what he could get, waiting for the old man to die, he would have acted differently. He would have said, Dad, I know because I've lived with you, I understand what breaks your heart. And I've learned what you long for. You want your son to come home. So I'm going to go out now, and I'm going to search. On behalf of the family, I'm going to bring him back. I'll do it at my expense. Do you understand this? One of the reasons why he was so angry is because his younger younger son spent the money. And by the way, that celebration that the father had, part of the expense was the family estate that he would inherit. His duty would have been, I'm going to go out, do whatever it takes to bring him home. Why would he do it at his own expense? Because everything the father owns now belongs to him. This parable is teaching us that Jesus is the true older brother. He did what the older brother was supposed to do. That's the real point of this parable. The father saves us at the expense of the older brother, the true older brother, Jesus Christ. He took the shame. He bared the expense, the humiliation and the pain of the cross to search for us and to save us. And when you and I receive that gift, we enter into the joy of the Father. We come into the party. We laugh a lot. We sing. We know that we are loved. We know that the strong hands of God are protecting and loving us at the same time. And our chief goal in in life is to know him and to love him. Let us pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this story, this amazing story, and we pray that you would help us through it to know your heart, to be astounded once again today of your love, the grace that confuses us because it's so vast and deep and wonderful. And may that knowledge, may that uh, grace change our hearts to love those around us. We ask this humbly in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to join voices around the world um, in churches in our community, and we're going to affirm with them what we believe through the uh, words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the...